Growing up uh, in my parents' house, I was subject to a lot of rules. In fact, my parents would be considered uh, really, really strict by most any standard today. And I'm not going to give you every example and all the psychological damage that inflicted on me. But I really, I really am better for it. Uh, regardless, one of the rules in my house growing up was, Thou shalt not cuss. My parents were very explicit that there was never to be any explicit language, never any bad words, never any potty mouth. The problem with that rule was, I like to cuss. I was good at it. From a kid, it just came really easy and, and really natural to me. So my parents had a lot of work ahead of them cleaning up all of my bad language. Now, my parents never did what a lot of, maybe you did with your kids, or what a lot of, what a lot of y'all had, had yourself subjected to. They never washed my mouth out with soap. They believed, my parents believed, that there was a direct anatomical link between my backside and my vocal cords. So that if they could apply enough pressure back here, the language would change up here. And they really, really tried. Uh, but... They had their work cut out for them because what I noticed as a kid was this. I noticed that there were certain words that the grown-ups told me I was never allowed to say. That the grown-ups were allowed to say sometimes. You hit your thumb with a hammer. My granddaddy especially could get away with a whole lot more than I could get away with. But as flexible as that rule may have been, one ironclad, hard and fast rule my parents had at our house that I always kept, and you can know I kept it because I'm alive today, is thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. My parents were absolutely serious that we never blaspheme the name of God or the name of Jesus. So much so that they even had other words which really had nothing to do with the name of God that we were not allowed to say, lest we get kind of close to blaspheming. Oh my gosh, we were not allowed to say that. And I can even remember, as a kid, one Sunday morning, my dad, who was my pastor, preached a sermon called, God's last name is not damn. And in that sermon, he railed against the congregation's blasphemy. And he used every expression you have ever heard, and a whole lot you haven't. Scared everybody to death. There hadn't been that much cussing in the church since the last business meeting. It scared everybody <laughs> to death. But it came from the commandment, the clear commandment of God, that we are going to consider this morning. The third commandment that says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So let's go back to Exodus chapter 20 this morning. And let's read the Ten Commandments. And we're going to focus today on the third commandment about blaspheming the name of God. But what if it means more than just thou shalt not cuss? What if it actually has much to do with our lives? And something certainly to do with our language. Let's read together. Exodus chapter 20. The Ten Commandments begin in verse number 1. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. 
For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord abideth forever. I didn't get to pick my name. Did you? Nobody asked me. Nobody cared about my opinion. My name was given to me by the grown-ups. My name was bestowed upon me. I like my name just fine. My name Jesse, it suits me, I guess. I couldn't be anybody else now. My name Jesse comes from the pages of the Old Testament. It's the name of one of the Bible story characters in the book of 1 Samuel, the father of David. It's a Hebrew name of kind of ambiguous definition. But my dad says, he's always maintained, that I was actually named after Uncle Jesse on the Dukes of Hazard because I come from a long line of white trash. And if I would have been a girl, uh, the, the family legend is that my name would have been Jerrica, whatever that is. And so I guess I lucked out, all things considered. But I didn't get to choose my name. You didn't get to choose your name either, unless maybe you go by a nickname or unless you changed your name for tax purposes or whatever. But we don't typically pick our names. But in the Bible, God picks his name. In fact, in Exodus chapter number 6, God is speaking to Moses and he says, You shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses, notice this, and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Did you know that God is not God's name? In fact, the word God is not really a name at all. The word God is a title, sort of like king or to some degree Lord. The word God, our English word God, comes from the German word Gott, and it is a word that probably has something to do with praying or invoking or calling out to one, and that is certainly what we should do to God. We should pray to Him. We should call out to Him. The Bible is very much in favor of that. But that's not God's name. And here God speaks to Moses and says, even though your Hebrew ancestors, the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they knew me as God Almighty, God without equal God without rival, God who has unlimited power, they did not know me by the name that I have revealed to you. And here it's translated as the word Lord or the Lord. 
But it's revealed in Exodus chapter 3 when God had appeared to Moses at the burning bush. Where Moses wants to know, well, what is your name? It says this, Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Here, God reveals his name. It's the Hebrew word Yahweh, or we might say it as Jehovah. It looks something like that in Hebrew, read right to left. The word Yahweh, that is God's name. And it's that name that God is concerned about here in the third commandment. And it's the word that appears even in the text of the third commandment. You shall not take the name of Yahweh, your God, in vain. What does this name mean? Why did God choose this name? At one level, I'm not actually sure. Most likely, the name Yahweh comes from the Hebrew word Yahah. Now, that's not karate, but it's Hebrew, Yahah. That means to be. To be, the verb to be, the verb is, the verb was, the verb are, the verb to be. Because what God said to Moses back in Exodus chapter 3 was, Moses, you tell them the I am has sent you to Israel. The I am. God reveals himself to Moses as one who is totally and absolutely self-sufficient. God says, Moses, you tell them that the God who needs no one, the God who relies on no one, the God who depends on no one, that God is the God who has called you and has sent you to them. You know, you need a lot of things to be you. You've got to have water. You've got to have shelter on days like today. You had to have parents. You've got to have tacos and pizza or whatever it is you like to eat. You've got to have so many different things just to keep you functioning. But did you realize today that God needs nothing outside of God to continue being God forever? God doesn't need anybody to contribute to Him. God doesn't need anybody to prop Him up. God didn't need anybody to create Him, to form Him, or to make Him. God is. And when God says to Moses there at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, Moses, you tell them that the I Am has sent you. He's not saying, Moses, I am everything you need me to be. Even though God was everything that Moses needed him to be. What he's saying to Moses is, Moses, I am everything I need me to be. And because God is everything God needs God to be to be God, he is certainly everything that you need for you to be you. And that's what he's telling Moses. Moses, I am Yahweh. I am God without beginning. I am God without end. Moses, I am Yahweh. I am God who has no equal. I am God who has no rival. Moses, I am Yahweh without beginning, without end, at no, never changing in any of my perfections, never getting any better because I can't be better than perfect, never getting any worse because perfection will not get worse. Moses, I am Yahweh. But here's the amazing thing about the book of Exodus. And here's the amazing thing about this commandment. This is where you have to really dig in to start understanding it. That the God who doesn't need anybody wanted somebody. And the God who says to Moses, I don't need anybody to be me. The God who chooses his name chose a people. God has chosen a people to identify himself with. In other words, he has attached his name to a people. 
And that people here are the people of Israel. Centuries later, the psalmist would interpret the events of the Exodus in Psalms 106. And he would say in Psalms 106 that he had rescued the people of Israel for his name. Look at this. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake that he might make known his mighty power. So do you know what God is doing in the story of the Exodus? The story that has led to Mount Sinai here in Exodus 20. The story that has led to the giving of the law. Do you know what God is doing? God is forever linking his name and the glory of his name, the praise of his name, the fame of his name to his people and their lives. God has demonstrated his power in conquering the armies of Egypt. God has demonstrated his glory in embarrassing all of the false gods of Egypt. And God says, I have done that for my name. God has demonstrated his care and his love for these people by bringing them through the wilderness to Mount Sinai. And God is saying, I have done that for the sake of my name. God has linked forever his name with this people. And that really is what this commandment is about. It's about ensuring that they live in such a way so that they are a reflection of their God. In fact, in the previous chapter in Exodus chapter 19, verse number 3, when the Lord assembles the people at Sinai before he gives them the law, Moses goes up to God and in verse 3 of Exodus 19, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians? And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So within the nation of Israel, there was a tribe, the tribe of Levi, that actually, vocationally, they were priests. But here God says that the whole nation of Israel, in some way functioned as a holy priesthood. That is to say that they revealed the presence of God to the world around them, to the unbelieving Gentiles, to the pagan nations around them. The nation of Israel was a reflection of who their God was. They mediated the presence of God to the other nations for the purpose of blessing those other nations with the knowledge of the God of Israel. And so what you have in the Ten Commandments is God... Basically coming to the people of Israel saying, this is what it looks like for you to live as my people so that my name is known and so that my glory is revealed. So you have a commandment like, thou shalt not kill. That's a good commandment to think about on Sanctity of Life Sunday. Why does God prohibit killing? Because God created life. And God created human life in His image. And God created human life in His value. And these people are not supposed to be pagans who disregard human life, who destroy human life, who just bulldoze human life thoughtlessly, but they recognize the glory of God in the image of God in humanity, and they value life. And other nations are supposed to see that and say, they treat life differently. They treat people differently. They treat property differently. Thou shalt not steal. They treat their families differently. They honor their elders, their mother and their father. They honor their spouses. They're not given over to sexual immorality. It's forbidden they commit adultery. Who are these people and who is their God? The concern that God has in this command is that they would take his name in vain. 
To take God's name in vain means to take his name and empty it. It means to make it worthless. It means to make it valueless. It means to make it meaningless. And so that's the problem that God confronts. The God who chooses a name has chosen a people. He's attached that name to a people. Just like when a husband and a wife get married and she takes his name. Their names are attached together forever. And now God confronts a problem. And the problem is that these people could live and speak in such a way as to blaspheme the name of God who had attached his name to their lives. So did the people of Israel honor God's name? Or did they take the name of God in vain? Well, any observant Jew today would tell you that they very much reverence the name Yahweh. In fact, they would be very, very highly offended that I would say the name Yahweh. You can read the name Yahweh in a Hebrew Bible, but it's spelled incorrectly to render it impronounceable. Because they do have such a respect for the actual name of God when it's spoken or when it's printed. But in the story of the Bible, did the people of Israel honor God's name? Did they fill it with glory? Or did they live in such a way that took God's name in vain? When they stand at the Red Sea, and they wonder, will our God be faithful to save us? Is our God really good? Does he really care? Were they taking God's name in vain? When they go into the wilderness and they start complaining. That was the native tongue of the ancient Israelites. It wasn't Hebrew, it was murmuring. Gripe, gripe, gripe like Baptists. Grumble, 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 grumble about something all the time. And when they're wondering, is God going to feed us? Are we going to die of starvation? Here God has delivered us from the Egyptians just so we're not going to have enough water to drink. Moses, what are we ever going to do? Were they taking God's name in vain? And Mount Sinai, when Moses takes too long on top of the mountain. My goodness, he's been up there for 40 days. What is he doing talking? to? Who would ever want to talk to God for 40 days? What we need to do is we need to make a golden calf. That'll be a better God than this God anyway. And when they reduce the God of heaven, the immeasurable, invisible, infinite God of glory into a golden baby cow. Were they taking God's name in vain? Were they taking God's name in vain as you move into the future of Israel and say the book of Judges? And they repeatedly give themselves over to sin, violate the law of God, worship false gods, they're worshiping Baal and Ashtoreth and everything else. Were they taking God's name in vain? Saying God is not really worthy of our worship. God is not really that great. God is not really that good. Were they taking God's name in vain in 1 Samuel chapter 8 when they rejected God's claims to be their true king and they established Saul as their king? Were they taking God's name in vain then? Were they blaspheming the name of God through their unfaithfulness, through their refusal to worship, through all of their sinfulness, through all of their history? Were they taking God's name in vain? Well, here's the problem I want to confront to you. The problem is that if you are here today and you call yourself a Christian, you have the name of God on you. In fact, the Bible even goes so far as to take the exact wording from Exodus chapter 19 applied to Israel at Sinai and it applies it to us as God's people. In 1 Peter chapter number 2, read these verses with me. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. This is exactly what God said to Israel. God says it to us. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation 
a people for his own possession. Why? Why did God do all this? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now I'm thankful that as a child of God, I've got a but now. I know what I used to be, but now. I know what I used to be wrapped up in, but now. I know where I used to be headed, but now. But, Peter says, God has given you that but now so that your life would proclaim the excellencies of the name of the one who saved you. Question. Were you baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? Were you born again when you called on the name of the Lord? Because the Bible says, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You have God's name on you. And you can take God's name in vain in more ways than just by going around and God damning everything that makes you mad. You can take God's name in vain by doing more than using the name of Jesus like a slang term, which some of you do and you need to repent of. Jesus' name is not a cuss word. It is not a slang term like crap. And some of y'all are going to be more offended that the pastor said crap in the pulpit than you are the way we treat the name of Jesus. We can take the name of the Lord in vain, yes, in the way that we speak, but we take the name of the Lord in vain in the way that we live. We take the name of the Lord our God in vain when we come into church on Sunday mornings with slow hearts, with hard hearts, sleepy eyes, that are not sensitive to what the Spirit of God wants to do among us. We take the name of God in vain when we live in open rebellion to His commandments. When we say that we are Christians and we drag His name through the mud because He has associated Himself to us. We can take the name of God in vain in the way we talk to one another. We can take the name of God in vain in the way that we treat one another. We can take the name of God in vain in any way that we live inconsistent with His Word and inconsistent with His character. And the bad news is, is that if you have never blasphemed the name of God with your lips, you are still guilty of blaspheming the name of God with your life. And Jesus was so bold to say in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and 23, that there are going to be people that will go on blaspheming the name of God, thinking that they have His name on their lives as Christians right up until the final judgment. Because he said, many will say to me in that name, well, Lord, in your name have we not cast out demons and preached great sermons and fed the poor and done many wonderful works? And he will say, I never knew you. We blaspheme the name of God when we hypocritically serve Jesus to serve ourselves. We blaspheme the name of God when we use a Savior that we do not love to get what we want from God. We blaspheme the name of God when we say, God told me this and he didn't. Or God opened this door for me and he didn't. And we attach God's name to things that God has not attached his name to. Folks, we are all guilty of taking the name of God and instead of hallowing it and reserving it, we are guilty of hollowing out of all of its glory. But God again in the Ten Commandments is showing that he is concerned with his glory. That you and I would live lives that honor his name because he has so graciously chosen to attach his name to us. And so God who chooses his name, Yahweh, the self-existent one, that God confronts a problem. 
that all of us could live in such a way as to gut God's name of its glory. But how could this be fixed? How could those of us who are, have been on the wrong side of God ever be made right? Well, can I tell you the answer? The answer is that God has chosen a name. God has chosen a name. Not just the name Yahweh. That's part of it. But if we keep reading the verses all the way to where Brother Landon read them this morning. Matthew chapter number 1. You find a carpenter named Joseph. Who is anxious because his fiance is turned up pregnant and he knows that the baby is his. And the only way he can know it's not his. Uh, he knows that that child is not his child, but here his fiance is turned up pregnant, and what is he going to do? And he's laying in bed one given night, and he's tossing and turning, thinking, what is the best thing for me to do? And the Bible says that an angel appears to him in a dream. Yeah. And what was the angel's message to Joseph? We can preach about this even if it's not December. The angel's message to Joseph was, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary for your, for your wife, because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And Joseph... Let me go ahead and fill out the birth certificate for you. God has chosen a name. And what was the name that God chose? The name Jesus. And the angel says in Matthew 1, 21, Joseph, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. God had taken a name. And he took the name Jesus. Now all throughout the Old Testament, the holy and revered name of God, Yahweh, had been attached to other Hebrew terms. To reveal specific things about God's character. Yahweh Yireh. We say Jehovah Jireh in Genesis chapter number 22. The Lord sees, the Lord provides. Yahweh Nissi, Jehovah Nissi in Exodus chapter 17. The Lord is the banner. The Lord is the one who fights for his people. Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is our peace. Yahweh Shema, the Lord is there. Psalm chapter 23. Yahweh Ra'ah, the Lord who is our shepherd so that we shall not want. And what God does in taking a name in the incarnation of Jesus is he takes the contraction of the name Yahweh, Yah, and he attaches it to the Hebrew word Hosea for salvation, and he says, the Lord is our salvation. That is the name that God chose. Because God chose that he would come into this world through the womb of a virgin, taking our flesh so that he could take our sins, taking our life so that he could take our death, so that we could have his eternal life, and so that we could have his righteousness. And God says, I have taken a name, and my name is Jesus. And one day a blind man named Bartimaeus, he heard that that man with that name was walking down the road. And blind Bartimaeus, who was understandably tired of being blind, who was justifiably tired of begging for his livelihood, the Bible says that when he heard Jesus was coming, he threw off his beggar's coat. And what did he say? He cried out and he used the name that God had given himself. Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. God had taken a name. The Lord will save. And it was that name that was whispered in the ears of lepers. It was that name that was heard by deaf people. It was that name that was trusted in by dead people. It was that name that the disciples used when they saw him walking across the Sea of Galilee in Matthew chapter number 14. God had chosen a name. It was that name that Pilate condemned at the crucifixion. It was that name that the Pharisees made into a swear word and a joke as the Lord breathed his last. 
But it was that name that the angels used on the first Easter morning when they said, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, but he is not here. And it was that name that Peter preached in Acts chapter 4 and said, There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you might be saved. And thank God it was that name that was preached to us when we were in our sins. And it's that name that came out of our sinful lips when we said, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. God has taken a name, and his name is Jesus. And he is he is our everlasting God. He is our El Alam. He is the God without beginning and without end. He is our El Shaddai, the all-sufficient God. He is our Yahweh Shalom, the Lord who is our peace. He is our Yahweh Shammah, the Lord who is there. He is our Emmanuel, who will never leave us nor forsake us. He is the lily of the valley, and he is the rose of Sharon. In the Gospel of John, he said, I am the water of life. One drink of me and you will never thirst again. He says in John chapter number 5 and 6 he says listen I am the bread of life and I can satisfy the hunger in your heart. He says in John chapter 9 I am the light of the world. In John chapter number 10 he chose a name and he said I am the door to the sheepfold and I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep and he said no man will ever put them out of my hands again. In John chapter number 11 at the grave of Lazarus he said I am the resurrection and the life. He that liveth and believeth in me though he were dead yet shall he live. And when John saw him again in Revelation chapter number 1 he said I am the one that was dead and is alive and behold I am alive forevermore and I have the keys to death to hell and the grave. God has taken a name. He is our Yahweh Sidkenu the Lord who is our righteousness. He is our Yahweh Ra'ah the Lord who is our shepherd and yes he is our Jehovah Jireh the Lord who provides for every need for his people because he has provided Jesus for them. He is King of Kings and He is Lord of Lords. He is the Prince of Peace. He is our Emmanuel, God with us. He is the best friend that I've ever had. He is the root and the offspring of David. He is the bright and the morning star. And in His name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why? Because God chose a name. God said, I am not going to leave. Hold on now, I ain't done yet. God said, I am not going to leave those blasphemers. I am not going to leave those people who have drugged my name through the mud. I am not going to leave those people who have disregarded me so much that they will carelessly put my name in their mouth. And use it as a swear word without a second thought. God said, they may not love me, but I love them. And I will take a name, and I will put that name on them. And church, if God has done that to identify with us, oh, we ought to identify with him. And we ought to say, God, help us never to live in such a way that would dishonor your great name. God, let us magnify your name. Lord, when we meet together on Sundays, let us glorify your name. Lord, when we live our lives, let us honor your name. So that everybody who knows the name of Christian is on me would see my Christ who loved me. Lord, let me live and let me honor your name. Oh, I don't ever want to take his name in vain to you. I didn't when I was a kid because I was afraid my parents would kill me. But I don't want to now because I am afraid my parents would still kill me. But 
I don't want to take the Lord's name in vain, not because of a father who might kill me, but because I have a father who loves me. And has said to me, I will be your father, and you will be my son. Today, do you have the name of Jesus on you? So many of you do. So many of you do, and thank God for that. But are you living? Are you living in a way that honors and glorifies his name? Many of you aren't, and you know that. And maybe I've touched on it, or maybe the Holy Spirit's nudged you, and you've seen ways that Jesus' name is being defiled, and dishonored, or even worse, just ignored in your life. I tell you today, he wants to forgive you. And he wants to give you, in that forgiveness, even more reason to honor his name. But there may be somebody here today that's never taken the name of Jesus. And you might say, you know, yeah, I guess I'm a Christian. I'm in a church in Alabama. I mean, what do you call it? But what I'm saying to you today is, has there ever been a moment in your life when you've turned from your life the way you've always lived it? And you've said to God, however you said it or thought it or felt it, in the heart of faith, where you've just said, Lord, I don't want this life anymore. But I want the life you have for me. I don't want it to be about me and my name. I want it to be about you and your name. Do you realize today that this God sent his son to die for you? And that he rose again so that you could live forever. And so that you could really live now. Not that you would wait till you get to heaven to have eternal life, but that you would have it today. Now, as you live the life Jesus died to give you, it would be a good day for you to come and call on the name of the Lord. So, Brother Jesse, I don't know what to say. It's not the words that save you. It's Jesus that saves you. It's the name of God, the work of God. That's what saves you. Come call out to Him. And He's promised in His Word that if you would call out to Him, He would save you. He's also promised that if we would call out to Him, He would forgive us. He's promised if we call out to Him, He would change us. He's promised if we would call out to Him, He would renew us and He would use us. Call upon the name of the Lord today. Look to Him and live. Look to Him and live, for there is none other. Let's stand together today. We'll pray quickly and then we'll sing. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have taken a name. That even though You are the self-sufficient, self-existing God who needs no other, You wanted us. And You took a human name to take people to yourself so that that which was ruined by sin would not be lost forever. God, there are people that are here this morning that their lives have been ruined in some way by sin. But God, it does not have to be ruined forever. Let your Holy Spirit now, God, convict men of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. Let us see and let us know, Lord, that there are consequences for our sins, but Jesus has taken them. He's taken the punishment so that we can have life. God, I pray especially today for those dear believers that have seen how they've dishonored your name. Change them, Lord, right now in this moment. And let us truly live like Christians to magnify the name of our Christ. Lord, we ask that you would do that. And I know you have heard me because I pray in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.